This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Baptist Church of Gunnison, Colorado. For more audio and media, it can be found on our website at www.gunnisonbethany.com. In this sermon, Pastor Tom Burgraff will be examining Acts chapter 3, verse 11 through 26. We're doing good. So glad you're here. If you have a Bible with you, you want to open it to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. If you do not have a Bible with you, no problem. We got you covered. Uh, look under the seat in front of you. We got them kind of spread out. If there's not one there and you need one, raise your hand and we'll have one of our ushers get you a Bible. If you want that, it's yours to keep. We want one in every home, in every hand, in every heart. And uh, so if you need one, just uh, raise your hand. We'll get you one, whether it's for this hour or um, for a little while. We're so glad you're here. We want this to be the best hour of your week. Now we use that hour loosely, uh, but we're going to be, yeah, the regulars, they're laughing. Um, today's message is called, Be Healed of Paralysis. Be healed of your paralysis. And some of you are going, okay, I wonder why I came. I'm not paralyzed. Well, don't be too sure. Don't be too sure. We'll see about that. Um, before we dive in, uh, we like from time to time to keep our purpose statement, what God has placed on our hearts, what God has called this church to, uh, up in front of us so that we can be reminded of that. If you'd pull that up, I'd ask you to sit up, clear your throats, and say it together like you mean it. We're here to be a growing, relevant family of missionaries who desire to see Western and Gunnison know Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's what we're going to do. That's why um, um, this morning is so important. Um, and let me, let me just share with you, because I'm really concerned. Uh, I'm really concerned for us that uh, there's a part of that that is not only part of the mission statement, but it comes right out of Scripture. It says to be a growing, a growing. And and growing really has two meanings. Uh, One is growing numerically, uh, which is happening as the kingdom of God advances and more people are brought into a love relationship, a saving relationship with the lover of their souls, their Savior, their Lord Jesus Christ. But the other is one of growth Personally, we would call it discipleship. We'd call it progressive sanctification. We'd call it growing deep in the faith, growing deeper. And I'm, I'm concerned, I'm concerned for us that that may not be happening. And it's tied very closely. We're in Acts. This is a series that we've been doing. We're going through the book of Acts, right? And we're going pretty much verse by verse. And uh, we've been in this for 12 weeks. That's, that's three months. And we've called it, you can see it, it's in the green on the bottom. It's called Acts to be continued, to be continued. And the whole thing connects to the growing in the, in the purpose statement that the acts of, of the church, of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit in his people to rescue a lost world, right? To save, to call people into himself, to grow the church, to advance the kingdom. That's to be continued, not only throughout the book, but in our lives, right? And this is where I'm worried. This is where I'm worried. See, the... Uh, The author of this book is Luke, but the true author is God himself, right? It is his word. Jesus is the word made flesh. So writing the next chapter, we've said it from the beginning, is that this is to be continued being written in our lives, individually and as families and as a church, so that we see our lives changed by Christ, so that we see our families changed by Christ, so that we see our communities changed changed by Christ. And I'm, I'm asking you to now just kind of get in there with me and focus on the 
to be continued part. Because here's where my concern is. Here's my concern. That 12 weeks, three months later, we might be pretty much the same people. We might be pretty much the same families. We might be pretty much the same church. And the Jesus who wrote the Acts of the Apostles for the early church desires to continue to write the next chapters in this church and in your church, that your life and your family. And if that's not happening, it's not because Jesus has writer's block. But perhaps, perhaps, it's the diagnosis that Peter, in the passage of Scripture we're going to look at, makes for those who are at the temple, who are in the temple in verse 15, chapter 3. He says, you killed, you killed the author. You killed the author of life. And so my concern is that not that Jesus does not have the ability, does not want to write the miraculous next chapter of this, of this plan of redemption in your life and in mine, and in our families, in our church, in our community, in our college, in our world. But through our paralysis, we've killed the role of God. We've killed the author, in a sense. And so I, I want us to be all about that growing I want us to be all about that to be continued. And as we look at what he's doing, what he's saying through his Holy Spirit to the early church, I think think it could be a wake-up call for me. I think it could be a wake-up call for you and all of us because there's so much. There's so much he longs to do. There's so much. Here's Here's what's so dangerous. Here's kind of the root of my concern. Is that a lot of people who are paralyzed don't know it. Because we're not talking about physical paralysis as we'll look at a man who was in this scripture, the man who's sitting outside the temple and and begging people for, for pocket change. You know? Spiritual paralysis, one of the most dark and dangerous aspects of that is the people who are suffering from it. Part of it is you don't even realize it. But I ask, if every day if every day is like the day before for you, if every week is like the week you've already spent, if every month is like the month that's passed, if every year has just been a repeat of the year before, then maybe, maybe we're not embracing all that the Holy Spirit wants to do. Maybe we're not growing. Maybe we're not letting it be continued. Maybe we stifled and killed the author in our lives. And so that, that's, that's where I am. That's where I am this morning. Um, it's not paralysis of the legs. It's paralysis of the heart. And that's where my concern is. It's, it's a concern born out of love. It's not, it's not critical. I'm not, I'm not beating you about the head and neck. I just, uh, I have a heart burden. And it's been on me this week. It's been uh, on my life. I want my life to be utterly unrecognizable from the way it used to be. Not just when I was steeped in obvious sin, but when I was struggling with subtle, largely invisible sin. I want to be different than the man that stood before you two weeks ago, which is the last time I preached. I want it to be continued in ways that 
glorify Christ and advance his kingdom. I want us all to be in that. That's his desire. So let's pray. Let's have a time of prayer. We're going to get into the word and uh, we're going to do things a little bit differently this morning. But So take this time uh, to pray. Pray for this time. Uh, I ask you to pray for the Holy Spirit. Uh, pray for yourselves and, and, and pray for me that, that God could use uh, one such as myself for his glorious work. Lord, we come before you in thanksgiving. Uh, we love your presence. We love your word. We, uh, we haven't always lived that way, Lord, so I ask your forgiveness and your mercy upon us and, and me because, Lord, my sins are many and I wish it were so. Lord, I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. Lord, I ask that you open eyes and open hearts and open ears and that you would come and your presence would be so strong pouring out your Holy Spirit that you would reveal yourself. And Lord, when you do that and you give us the ability to respond and you open our eyes, we will be changed and our families will be changed and our workplaces and our friendships and our town and our college and our world. That's what you desire to do. Lord, let it be continued. I pray for all of us, Lord. Lord, uh, thank you for this time. We look forward to what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's get, uh, let's get right to work. How this morning is going to go is that uh, we're going to start uh, a little bit differently. We're going to start back at the end of chapter 2. So if, if you turn to chapter 3, you're, you're, you're right in the ballpark. And you say, oh, we already did that. Yeah, we already did that. But usually we go verse by verse, almost word for word. Um, and that's, that's the way that I prefer to do it. But sometimes, sometimes we're, you know, we're at eye level and we're really dealing with, with phrase by phrase and things like that. Sometimes it helps if we, if we take a view from the top down over a broader passage of Scripture, uh, sort of like a, a Google Earth kind of thing, so that you can see, see the continuity and what God is doing. It's, it's kind of like from 30,000 feet. Isn't that the beautiful way that some of you weirdos like to look at crop circles, right? You can't really appreciate it when you're down there in the corn. You've got to get above it. Okay, stay with me. That's what we're doing this morning. Sometimes you need to see the bigger picture. Otherwise, sometimes when you're down at eye level, you, you might miss. You might miss the, the meta-narrative, if you will, of what's going on here. So we're going to quickly, we got a big passage of Scripture. I need you to stay with me. I need you to follow along in your Bibles. It comes in three parts, so it's going to be easier to chew and swallow. And uh, we're going to quickly kind of unpack that, and then I'm going to ask you and, and me some tough questions, and we're going to let the Spirit um, answer them for us in our hearts. And uh, here's what it's going to be. Here's what it's going to be. We're going to start in chapter 2. This is the, the three parts, okay? The first part is a group of people, the early church, who've received the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit is working through them powerfully. He's, he's changing them. He's creating something the world has never seen before and unfortunately doesn't see very much now. But he's going to see it in this church. He's going to see it in these people. These people are not paralyzed, and they know they're not paralyzed, okay? This is part one. Let's give it a read. 
Chapter 2, verse 42, here we go. This early church, after Pentecost, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. It was an awesome place. It was an awesome experience. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. It was a place of power through the Holy Spirit, okay? 44, and all who believed were together. They were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They knew everything belonged to God, everything that they had, and people, each other, were more important than the stuff that they had. Okay? Get that? Now we're going along. 46, and day by day, attending the temple, large gathering, okay, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Large gathering, small groups, okay? If you're not part of a small group, you need to be. You're not growing spiritually, we've got to do the gospel together. We don't just learn the gospel. We have to break our lives together. We need to break bread together. We need to do and practice and apply in relationship. Large gathering, small group. Good. That's the end of that commercial. Okay. They broke bread in their homes. They received breaking. Uh, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They're eating. God likes eating. It's good. Um, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord, get this, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Every day that goes by, more people are experiencing this through them right? And every day, more people are coming into relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what happens when a church, when God's people are not paralyzed spiritually, and they know they're not paralyzed. They have this awesome experience of Christ. They have this awesome experience of community. They have this awesome experience of generosity, and God works through them to bring their whole town, their whole city, and eventually the world into relationship with Jesus Christ. That's her calling. That's our calling, okay? Part one. This is how it works. This is how it should look. Now, when we look at chapter three, if we read through, sometimes we can get into the place where we think, okay, this is kind of just another episode. It's disconnected. I submit to you that it's not. Because sometimes we view this as like um, a law and order episode, right? You just deal with it that hour. And next week, it's different. No, this is like lost, okay? If you didn't get the week before, you're not going to get this week. If you miss two, you're hopelessly lost. That's how it got its name. It's connected. It's connected. I want you to watch this. We see the church that is not paralyzed. God is using them mightily. God is reaching his people. God is, his plan of redemption is rolling out without hindrance. And here we are in chapter three. This is part two. Here is a man, we're going to meet a man who is paralyzed and knows he's paralyzed, okay? Here we go. 3-1. Now, Peter and John were going to the temple. Peter and John went to church. You should go to church. Do it. Okay. At the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, now this is actually 3 p.m., 3 in the afternoon, and a man who was lame from birth, lame from birth, excuse me a second, Lame from birth. Now, this was before believers got all politically correct. In, in, in your mind, you might think of it as mobility challenged. Okay? He was, but he was lame. 
He, he, he couldn't move the lower part of his body. Or his limbs, his ankles, his legs, his feet were not working so that he could, he could walk. He knew it. He knew it, okay? Lame from birth. He was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Stop there for a second. Do you, does that cause you for just a minute to wonder? Every day, this guy is being carried from his house to outside the temple. What's going on? He's got friends. He's got friends who bring him and they carry him outside the temple. Then they dump him. Where do they go? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe they're, they're going to pick up on temple girls and go out and eat chicken wings, but they're not hanging with him. And, and he has to ask. He is begging at the entrance to the temple. Verse 3, he sees Peter and John about to go into the temple. He's asking to receive alms. He's begging. What does he want? He wants money. Why? Because he can't work. He can't work. So he needs money. He figures money is the solution to his problems. It's going to get him another day. Right? That's the greatest thing he has come expecting is enough money so he could have food or shelter or get his basic needs met. He just wants to get by and figures what he most needs is a handout, some pocket change. Peter looks at him, as did John, and he said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. You could hear his heart rises because a lot of people, they walk by, they don't see him, right? They see him, but they don't. You know, we've done that before, right? There are people in your high school who you see, but you don't see, right? There are people at your work, at the college, you see them, but you don't, you don't see them. You don't talk to them. You don't make eye contact. So his heart leaps, right? They see him. Say, look at us. He expects to get something from them. But Peter says, okay, this, his, his hopes are really up, right? I have no silver or gold. <laughs> it's sad. But what I do have, I give you. He's going, yeah, I've heard about these Christians. What are they gonna, they're not going to give me money. They'll probably give me a track. Okay. But get this. He wasn't ready for this. Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And Peter, he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And you know, you know this is incredible. It's so much more than he asked for or imagined, but that's the God we serve. And as Peter reached his hand down, don't you think Peter in his heart, in his mind, had the picture of him maybe months, maybe a year before drowning as he's trying to walk on water and Christ himself reaches his hand down and lifts him up. And now he, empowered by the same Holy Spirit, lifts a man who cannot stand and in Jesus' name lifts him to his feet far more than this man would ever venture to ask for. He wanted pocket change. He got life change. He said, rise up and walk. And he took him by his right hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, leaping up. He uses this word once. We're going to see it again. Leaping up. 
Picture this. A guy, he, from birth, he had not taken a step, and now he's leaping up. He is not getting up like your dad gets up after watching back-to-back football games from the recliner. He's not staggering around the house making giving birth noises. You know? As soon as you have your first child, you will understand. It just comes upon you. But he's not doing this. He leaps up. He stood. He began to walk. And he enters the temple. Why is this such a big idea? That he enters the temple. Why? Because he was outside. you know why he was outside? Because he was crippled. And the church then figured. This is how, this is how church people then thought. Wrap your mind around this. That if something bad happened to somebody... That it was because God had cursed them, and they were therefore not of the same quality as the people inside the temple. So all the people with all the obvious needs, who were paralyzed and knew they were paralyzed, were outside the temple, right? And all the people, all the good folks, were inside the temple. Aren't you glad church doesn't work that way anymore? He goes in. Can you picture him? Never thought he'd see. Never thought he'd see what is he doing. He's walking and leaping and praising God. And this is going over big. Very somber. Now you've got this crippled guy who's not crippled anymore. And he's dancing. He's leaping around. And he's yelling praises to God. Can't you see their ushers? Bob, Bob, you handle this one. Down the Pentecostal temples down the street. He's praising God. Imagine that. That'll shake up a church. All right. That's part two. See, you thought it was going to be unbearable. You're already two-thirds of the way through the scripture. It's great. Part three. Part three that we have to look at is we had a group in part one, right? They're not paralyzed, and they know they're not paralyzed. Here we have a guy who is paralyzed and knows he's paralyzed. Part three, we have the people in the temple who are paralyzed, but don't know they're paralyzed. This is the most dangerous condition you can be in. Let's take a look. Starting in verse 9, chapter 3. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. God bless you. Here we Verse 10, they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple because he was there every day and they were there every day, right? He was the guy they walked past asking for alms and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Wonder and amazement at what what had happened to him. Those people belong on the outside of the church. Those people belong at another church. We don't have an outreach to the ugly. We don't have an outreach to the broken. If you don't look like us, if you don't live like us, if you don't dress like us, you're not us. Jesus turns that on his head. Said this one, whom you marginalized, Look at him. That's what I want for you. Where's the leaping? Where's the joy? 
Where's the praising God? Where's the being set free from paralysis and lameness? Moving on. Verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John. See, they're, they're his new best friends, right? He's doing this. You know, the guys, the chicken wing eaters, they're, they're gone. We don't even, Peter and John, are, they're all about it. Utterly astounded, these people ran to them in the portico called Solomon's 12. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Peter sees the opportunity. There's always an opportunity. What is Peter going to do? He's going to preach the gospel. He's going to give the good news. And that's what we have to do. We have to look for a way in the context of what is going on in people's lives, in the things their minds are attracted to, in the things that they're thinking about. Speak life into them. Speak good news. Speak hope. Speak Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing. That's what Peter's doing. He says this, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why are you wondering? Why are you wondering? Because a paralyzed people will not only... Put the, put the hurting outside the church and reassure themselves that they're not broken, a paralyzed people will lose sight of the power of the God they worship. A paralyzed people will lose sight of the power of the God they worship. He's like, what are you, what are you wondering about this? This should be commonplace. Do you not know the God we worship? And maybe many of them were thinking, I know. I know God can do a miracle. I just didn't think He ever would. I knew God really loved me. I just didn't think He demonstrated. I know God has all the power in the world. I just didn't, didn't expect He was into using it. Why not? Why These Jesus' teachings were clear, and they were, that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And hell will tremble when God's people trust God for what only God can do. It's about time we got sick and tired of leading normal lives, normal Christian lives, of just trying to keep some religious rules and some do's and don'ts and start walking in the power of God for the purposes of God and see the hand of God empower the work of God for His glory. It's what He was calling this church to, and it's no different 2,000 years later. Why are you wondering? should be commonplace. Or why do you stare at us as though our power or piety, through our power or piety, we have made him walk? We've got to stop there for just a second. That's wonderful right there. I say that to make a point. Those of you who know me know I love Diet Coke. I do. I just do. It's one of the ways God has given me to show me how much he loves me. But when I am finished with this, I will not take the empty bottle and kiss it. Because it's not the bottle that I like. It is what is inside. When you get a check or some good piece of mail, I hope you don't kiss the mailman. He just brought it to you. 
If you were to have a life-saving surgery and you're healed, you don't run into the operating room and pick up the scalpel and start singing praises to the scalpel. The surgeon would be very offended. What's the point? He says, don't look at us. Don't look at us. As if we did something? As it's like our piety, our holiness? No. Paralyzed people will look at people rather than the Savior. Paralyzed people will encourage people to look at them rather than to look at God. Matt and I have the, uh, the gift to us, the honor of being able to unpack God's word. Don't look at us. Don't look at us. Just long enough to see where we're pointing. Now we do need encouragement. Uh, we do. But we, the praise goes to God and God alone. Every ability that you've been given, every talent, everything, everything you do should point to God. Should point to God. So that those who are around us, who are even blessed by us, won't stop here. You don't want what I can do for you. You want the same God who's working in me to bring me in sanctification to look more like his son. And we walk together. We're lead followers. Do you understand? Don't look at us. He says, don't look at us. You look at God. Paralyzed people want to exalt people. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. He begins to talk to them in the context of what they already know. The contextualization of the gospel is important. We must speak the unchanging word of God into the very changing culture. That's why it's important that we don't all look the same. That's why it's important that we don't all sound the same. But our message is the same. We just package it in ways that people can understand. Whether we're carpenters or students, or moms or dads, or retired people. He begins with what they know. This God that, that you know glorified his servant Jesus. You remember Jesus? He's making a comeback. He's back. He's telling them, Whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Paralyzed people deny. Deny God. Maybe not overtly, but deny his role in their lives. We'll take a look at that later. You denied the Holy and Righteous One. You asked for a murderer to be granted, turned over to you, 15, and you killed the author of life. Talk about bad choices. Killing the author of life. Now what this means, Jesus, as we know from the Scriptures, Jesus is the Creator God. Through Him all things were created. Things on heaven, things on earth, things seen and unseen. He is the Creator. You not only murdered Him, but in this sense, here, for those of you who weren't there, right? You took the script that Jesus, 
Jesus wanted to continue to write in your life. Hebrews, Hebrews tells us this. Hebrews 12, 2, it says this. Let us fix our eyes. This is in the NIV. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the what? Say it with me. The author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is scripting your life, your faith for his glory, his plan for you, and the ultimate purpose of God. Have you killed it? Are you living day by day, squashing the author. Not just taking the book, ripping up its pages and burning it, but then, you know, shooting the author just to make sure it's, it's done. Or are you letting him on a blank page begin to continue the acts of Jesus through the Holy Spirit and his people? That's a question we've got to wrestle with. We will. Whom God raised from the dead, to this we are witnesses, and his name. Matt preached on this beautifully last week. By faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and you know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. He cuts him some slack because like he reads them like the riot act and now he's, he's going to cut him a little slack but then he's going to take it back. Take a look. There's good news here for them. There's good news here for us. He says, and now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance. You didn't know. You didn't know what you were doing. And, and we know this because Jesus on the cross, what did he pray? Father, Father, forgive them. Even as the people who nailed him up there, who shoved the crown of thorns, who were still jeering and spitting at him and, and, and betting for his clothes. Father, forgive them for why? They don't know what they're they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. But he's saying, you didn't know, but now you know. <laughs> now I'm going to tell you, so you won't have no excuse. So go ahead. As did your rulers, but what God foretold through the mouth of all the prophets is this Christ would suffer. We have a bunch of guys that get together and watch UFC, and we like that. We eat those wings I talked about. A lot of them. And... uh well, me not so much because, you know, I'm not so into eating. But we, um, we watch guys, we watch guys get the pants beat off of them. And, and that points, at least for me as I read this text, to Jesus continuing to take a beating, continuing to take a beating. And one of the guys had a shirt that said, Jesus didn't tap out. Well, Jesus didn't need to tap out because in his power, he could have vaporized them. He could have switched the circumstances and been glorified as Lord of Lords, King of Kings right there and had them up on the cross. But the reason he continued to take the beating, the reason he continued to suffer and continued to suffer was because he was busy paying the price of the sin for those people who had just put him up there and for you and for me. That's why he took it. And that's now fulfilled, Peter says in verse 19. Here's the solution. He says, this, repent. Repent, therefore, and turn again. What is repentance? It is turning around. He is saying to them, you're paralyzed, but you can be healed. If you're a man and you're stupid like me, when you're driving and you know you've missed the exit, Somehow, in the map of the male brain, you think if you go farther down that road, which is the wrong one, it will somehow lead you 
to the right one. So you don't take the immediate exit and turn around, or God forbid, stop at a service station and ask, because you're clueless anyway. I don't care if you have a GPS system. You'll think you know better than the woman inside it. Will you not? He's saying, do a U-turn. Turn and look at Jesus. Turn and be healed. Because the road that you're on, and this is for you, and this is for me, the road that you're on does not end in the place that you think it ends. Jesus was very clear. He said the road is very narrow that leads to life, that leads to salvation. Very small. And few find it. But, but the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are a lot of people who are on it. Not because they go, yeah, let's go get destroyed. <laughs> Would you agree with me that a lot of lifestyles, a lot of hard styles, a lot of belief styles lead to destruction? Look around. But they're not on that road because they think it leads to destruction. They're on that road because they think it leads to life. The road to Jesus is a single, what do you call it? You bikers. It's like a single track. Who's cool? Huh? Who's relevant? Yeah, the fat guy. You wouldn't have guessed. You wouldn't have guessed. The road to life is a single track. The road to destruction is like a 16-lane highway. He's saying... There's hope. You killed the author of life. But guess what? The author of life doesn't want to kill you. He wants to bless you. He wants to give you life. Nothing that you've done. If they killed the author of life and he's inviting them back, nothing that you've done has disqualified you from the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. Nothing that you've done has disqualified you from receiving his forgiveness, his restoration. Key is repentance. You've got to change your mind. Change your heart to him. Come to him. It's a beautiful word. We've made it into this negative, onerous, beat yourself. No, come to the cross, sorry and broken. He gives you life. Make the U-turn. He invites them. We're coming to the end of the passage. Why? Two reasons. One, that your sins may be blotted out. Those who trust in Christ through repentance, no matter if they're paralyzed, become healed. No matter what they've done, their sins are blotted out and erased. Number two, why? So the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You will walk with Jesus and, and you were built. You were built for your entire joy, your entire happiness, your entire fulfillment, all the meaning that you're seeking in your life to only be found in one place. God gave us that one place so that we wouldn't find it in all the other things we try to find it in. We would only find it in our relationship in the presence of God. And, and our hearts are disquieted and unsatisfied until we do. So here he's saying that that time of refreshing, that very thing that you need, the water of life to finally quench the thirst that is in you, that you can't fill through sex, that you can't fill through materialism, that you can't fill through life experience or travel or success or acceptance or whatever else you're you're, you're seeking. You can't find it on your computer screen. You can't find it in the pages of a magazine. You can't find it in a new pair of shoes. Your heart is going to be restless until it finds joy and peace and satisfaction in the Lord. That's what he's saying to them and to us. 
times of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord. He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. He's coming back. Whom heaven must now receive until time of restoring all things about which God spoke. Do you know that that's what Jesus wants to do? He wants to create in you the man, the woman, the young person that he created you to be to restore all things, restore all of creation to how it was intended to be before the fall, before sickness and disease and heartbreak and and debt and disappointment. Restoring all things. He'll bring that to fulfillment when he returns. But we get a glimpse and we get a taste of that in this body, following him with each other. It's, It's pretty wonderful stuff. And I want it for you. And I'm concerned that you like to hear about it. I'm glad that you like to hear about it. But Christ wants to unfold it and unpack it in your life in a new way. Until the things that we read about Him doing in His people through His Holy Spirit to advance His kingdom aren't a Bible history lesson but a description of what he's doing now. What he's doing now. Moses said, The Lord God will raise you up a prophet like me from your brothers. He was talking about Jesus. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. That's a tough word. That's a tough word. Some lifestyle is going to lead to destruction. I love an example um, that John Piper wrote, and I I want to use it. He says, suppose there was a strip of land in Iraq, and suppose that it were strewn with buried landmines. Now, if a soldier knew the way through the land so that you would not detonate any mines, and he came and he offered to take you safely across, would you consider it legalistic or presumptuous or ungracious or demanding if he said, I know the way across, follow me, and if you don't, you'll be blown to pieces? I say that as loving and gracious and kind and merciful to demand that I follow. And to warn me that there is destruction if I leave leave him. Going through this life without following Jesus Christ is far more dangerous than walking through a minefield where you have no clue where they're buried. And in his mercy and his grace, he says, follow me in lockstep and I will lead you. Because I don't want destruction to come upon you. Let's be honest. A lot of our lives are train wrecks. And a lot of the problem, a lot of the problem isn't that we mess up sex. It's not that we mess up alcohol. It's not that we mess up drugs. It's not that we mess up career. It's not that we mess up materialism. It's not that we mess up marriage. That's fruit. The root is that we're not following Jesus Christ. And he's saying, please, please. Those of you who are parents, you know this intrinsically. To see your children suffer is the worst kind of pain. That comes from God. He does not 
want destruction in your life. Does that mean the Christian life is an easy one? Oh, no. It's a war. But the destruction is not because we followed away from God. He wants to spare you that. He says, come follow me. Ooh, you're patient. I love you. And the prophets who have spoken from Samuel to those who came after him, so proclaim these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant. You're living in verse 25 and 26, so pay attention. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, get this, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be what? Be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, Jesus, sent him to you first. To what? To bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. You are living in verse 25, 26. I don't care how old they are, how when they were written. Jesus Christ is before you. He is moving toward you with a heart to bless you, to set you free so that you might not be paralyzed, but might know his life in you, his purpose for you, his power in you, so that you might serve him and bring him glory. That's the purpose of the church. If you just want a cool place to come on Sunday, you'll always be welcome here. But that's not what we're about. We're about this word being written here and continuing to be written here so that this work in this Lord continues his work of redemption because there's a lost and dying world that he loves and cares about and we need to love and care about it but we can't do it if we're paralyzed. A couple of questions. First, I want you to see Jesus' heart for you. Every day, doesn't need to be like the day before. Every day they dumped this paralyzed guy outside the gate. Every day the people came to the temple. It was just played over and over. And I ask you this, how often are you playing the tapes, the same tapes or CDs or MP3s in your mind, right? The same responses, the same attitudes, the same thoughts, the same faithfulness or faithlessness. It's every day the same. He rescues us from the paralysis of the every day. He turns murderers into his people. And all the guilt, the shame, all of that is against us. But if Jesus is for us, he takes the wrath. He takes the punishment. Sets us free. There's no room for guilt for the forgiven. Here's good. Here's good news for you. Write this down if you want. Jesus loves stupid people. Jesus loves ignorant people who make the worst decisions imaginable. That's good news for a person like me. And the stupid things we do do not prevent him from inviting us home, to inviting us back. What's the solution? Same as us, same for us as it was for them, repentance. Doing that U-turn. We have to, I'm giving you six, six ways of not asking for the wrong things like, like the beggar outside. Quickly, six things if you're taking notes. One, seeking the wrong things. 
Number one, paralyzed, and you're asking for pocket change instead of life change. Come to God for everything. Don't ask for pocket change when you need life change. Number two, asking God to change your circumstances instead of changing you and your attitude so that he can speak to you and use you, changing your heart. Number three way to ask for the wrong things is asking God to change people around you who annoy you rather than change your heart toward them so that you can be used by him to speak life and hope into those people. Number four of asking for the wrong things. Asking for things that will bring you temporary happiness rather than asking for the one who can bring you eternal joy. Stop asking him for things to decorate your life and start asking him for life. Okay. Number five. When we're more concerned with asking Jesus to remove the consequences of our sin. Write this down. Asking Jesus to remove the consequences of our sin rather than asking him to remove our sin. This is where the church gets it wrong. We want, we want him, we want to beg him to remove the consequences of our bad choices, to remove the consequences of our sin, but we want to stay in love with that sin. We need to be broken. Number six, seeking Jesus so that he can make our life better rather than seeking Jesus so that he can be our life. Tom, how do you come up with a list of six? I look in the mirror. These things are alive in me. They paralyze me. I want to be set free. I want to be healed. You need to repent. It depends on whether or not you're paralyzed spiritually. How do you know if you're paralyzed? Well, a good place to start is you're not moving. That's usually a good clue. That church didn't know. The people in the temple didn't know. I want to give you 10 quick ways. I hope your fingers aren't tired, man. I need you. Keep going. 10 ways if you're taking notes. Types of paralysis. Maybe you're paralyzed by despair. You have no hope in moving forward. You need to heal, be healed of that. You need to know the God of all hope. You need to know that he has a plan for your life to bless you and not to curse you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, plans to give you hope and a future. If you don't have that hope, it's paralyzing. You need to be set free. You need to be healed. Number two, paralysis of the calendar. What does that mean? You might be paralyzed in fear of the future. I'm moving in a new direction. I'm going to a new place. I'm I'm doing something new. Or I have circumstances. I don't know how they're going to play out in the future. God is already there. God is already there in your future. He is already making a way for you. He already knows that he is the answer. And he is bidding you come. It's safe. You can go through anything if I walk through it with you. What room is there for fear of the future? When we're trusting a sovereign God, you can be healed of that paralysis. Paralysis of the calendar is also of the past. Some of you are paralyzed by labels and by sins of the past. You still identify yourself as the one who did this. You are the adulterer. You are the luster. You are the thief. 
You're the poor. You're the one who beats people. You're the greedy. In Christ, there is now no condemnation for those who are Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. You need to come. You're not the addict. You're not the drunk. You're the child of God. Be set free. All right, moving. Paralysis of religion. Don't trust in your own righteousness just because you're as good as the people around you. People in that temple did. God's calling us to be him, to be the image of Jesus Christ. You and I are just, the best and the worst of us are like that far apart (laughs) in front of Jesus, and we get hung up on that. Don't trust in your righteousness. He wants to set you free. Paralysis of routine, patterns of responses, thought patterns, attitudes. He wants to set you free and heal you. Paralysis of pride, pride, resistance to change. My life's pretty good the way it is. I like it. I know how to respond to it. This book never calls you to life as normal. Jesus doesn't call us to the normal Christian life. If you're comfortable in it, I don't mean to shame you, but I mean to shame you. Um, the, following Jesus is not about your comfort. It's about his kingdom and his glory. You find your comfort in the God of all comfort, not in being able to arrange your circumstances in the way that serves you. Amen? Paralysis of comfort is there. Safety, nothing radical. Don't rock the boat. You better rock the boat because the circumstances are dire. It's about time we let Jesus rock us. Spiritual indifference, this is huge. You don't care, no passion. You're content to live on the fringe of the kingdom where Jesus is an acquaintance, but not your Lord, not your Savior, and not your everything. His word calls those people to see it. They take the form of godliness, but deny its power. They're whitewashed tombs. Look good on the outside. On the inside, not so much. Partial surrender. God, I'm going to give you my church life. I'm going to give you my Sunday. I'm going to give you my Bible study, my small group. If the Spirit isn't oozing out of us in everything we do, 24-7, we've got a long way to go. Don't be paralyzed. Worldliness. Looking for things in this world to do for us what only Christ can do for us. Those can be good things, like family, like food, like our careers, like our gifts. Paralysis is selfishness. He calls us to spend our lives on behalf of others. For him, for his glory, to advance his kingdom. We learn in chapter 4 that thousands responded to the message of Jesus through Peter. Thousands. Will you respond? The author, Jesus, wants to write the next chapter. Don't kill him. Don't kill the author. Don't break the pencil. Don't burn the book. Repent. It's a beautiful thing. Life is on the other side. He wants to bless you, forgive you, set you free, heal you. Give strength to your crippled legs and wings to your paralyzed heart. 
Or you might not need this. And you might just want to sit at the gate and settle for pocket change. If that's what you want, it's here. If life is what you want, it's at the foot of the cross. Let's pray. Father, as broken people, your people, people have received you as Lord and Savior, but accepted paralysis because of wrong choices, because of sin, because of hardness of heart, because of routine, whatever it is. Lord, we come to you. We want to be healed. We need to be set free. We need to be healed. If you belong to Jesus Christ and there's some kind of paralysis in your life and you want to be set free, I ask you to raise your hand to God with me and I'll pray for you. We'll pray for us together. All right, God bless you. Hands going up all over. God bless you. Good. Good. We're going to get healed together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus for the cross. Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for hope that invites us back no matter what we've done. Lord, we want to ask for the deep things. We want to ask that our hearts be set free, that they be softened. Lord, we want to leap and dance and praise you. When was the last time our hearts did that and you call us to a life of that? Lord, we come to you in brokenness and we ask you to fill us. We ask for the filling of your Holy Spirit, the forgiveness, the healing. And Lord, it can only come from your hands and we thank you. We thank you. We receive it in Jesus' name. And we will serve you in a new and fresh way, Lord. But maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking, I am paralyzed. But it's not because I've come to Christ and not let him do his full work. It's because I've never accepted the opportunity, the invitation to become his. And I want to. I want desperately to. God has been speaking to my heart and I can't live another day without following him without receiving him. And I want that in my life. I want to trust in his finished work on the cross. If that's you, if God's been speaking to your heart about that, I ask you to raise your hand to heaven. Raise your hand to God, and we'll pray. Praise God for you, man. Praise God for you. If you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, if you want to be set free in him, make this your prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for taking my place on the cross. Thank you for dying the death that I deserved so that I might have life and forgiveness. Lord, come into my heart. I confess my sinfulness before you. I lift up to you my paralysis. And we ask, I ask that you touch me and with your blood that you clean me up, that you forgive me. Be my Lord, be my Savior. And I will follow you through the minefield all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, we need to, uh, we want to talk with you. We want to encourage you. We want to pray. We want to praise God with you. We want to get, equip you, encourage you, give you some materials. Better than that, we want to give you some people to walk with. Okay, we're going to have a response time that's a little bit different. One of the calls of God's people is to be the unparalyzed church uh, as we saw at the end of Acts 2 where they let God work through them mightily to bless other people. Yeah, right. I'm going to need those up front if you don't mind in that box, if you would. Throughout God's word in the Old Testament and New, 
it's very clear that he is, his heart is toward the orphan and the widow. I want to talk about widows. Why? Because God becomes their husband, if you will. His heart is toward them. And as the body of Christ, it's very clear that he calls us in a very special way to be, as Christ's body, the husband to the widow. The woman who has lost her husband to death. That's one of the measures, the Bible says, of true worship, true religion. It says, it's to care for them as if they were our own family. We have an opportunity today to allow God to use us to be that healed, unparalyzed, generous, loving church. I don't want to embarrass you. But I, got, I, got, I want to ask you to stand with me. Can, will you? Will you? Okay. There's, no, there's hum, great humility in this. You're a woman of God. Come here. I love you. These people love you. This is Marlene. Marlene is a woman whose life is sold out to the Savior, who lives her life as a blessing to others and pours out her life. She intercedes for you and those who would never darken the door of this church every Wednesday night. She's done it for years. She lost her husband, Roger. And this church, if it is God's church, is her husband. That is laid on your shoulders and mine, and it is not an onerous burden. It is a joyful one. And many of us do not know the provision of God because we have yet to use the blessings of God for the purposes of God. My friend, standing before you is the purposes of God. Marlene is very close to losing everything. Everything. God is coming to this church and saying, what are you going to do about it? I want to be a part of a church that says no one, no one goes down as we have any breath of life in us. As long as we have any resource in our homes, in our garages, in our bank accounts, in our stocks, God forbid, God forbid that we should die with extra when his people are hurting. When the widow that he's called us to goes without Marlene has a business, she has a home, and the absence of her husband is about to lose it all. But her husband, I submit to you, is not absent as long as the church lives. I want this church to be a place where the community says, my life is a wreck. Oh, you need to go there. Because they'll take you in, and they'll bless you until you know exactly how much God loves you. That's why we need to grow numerically so we have some more strength to meet the needs because the people are coming, they're going to come. I hope they do. You say, well, what's going to happen? All these people who have financial needs and physical needs and relational needs and addiction needs are going to come. What is that going to look like? It's going to look like the kingdom of God. And God will provide for us as we provide and pour out our lives into others. 
But it takes a lack of pride on both sides. Marlene has it. She has the humility of being broken. And those who have need to be broken of saying, my stuff is my stuff. No, (laughs) it's not. And today, it's hers. Marlene, uh, what we we need in the short term through our benevolence fund is about $12,000. Apart from that, somebody's already responded. Wrote a check, heard about it. Wrote a check for $4,000. Huge, beautiful. You may not be able to do that, but God will honor what you can do. We're going to have a time of, of prayer. Aside from that, these are, these are bills. I'm asking you, they're going to be laid out here. They kind of describe. I'll leave them on this front table. You can take a look at them. Some of them are small and some of them are large. There are two pieces. It says the same thing on both halves. If you want to take this and make it your own, you say, yeah, this is now my bill. And I'm going to make it good. Whether it's right now or over a period of time, I'm going to work with whoever this is owed to. I'm going to work that out. That's you being Jesus who took our stack of bills against our life, our sin, and said that that it's mine. I'm going to pay it. I'm going to pay it on the cross. You'll be the church of God. Do the work of God. So in addition to that 12,000, we need people to take these bills. Sign the second part so we can get in touch with you. We want to make sure we're going to put Marlene in touch with somebody who's going to work with her finances and put a plan together. We're going to walk through her with this. We're going to see victory. We're going to see hope. Nobody is looking down on you. We are lifting you up in Jesus Christ. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. My friend, I am not sure that what has come upon you has not come upon you as an invitation for Jesus' church to be Jesus' church. Amen? So God bless you. As you respond, if you want prayer for something God has laid upon your heart, I'm going to be here. There's, there's offering baskets there. There is uh, this. You can put the back part of your card in there. We're going to be in touch with you as you want to take some of these uh, debts as God leads you. And uh, we're going to see miraculous things happen. We're going to start behaving like the early church because what God did through them was what God wanted to do through us. If you don't want that, there's some pocket change here for you. He wants new life. He wants to restore creation. He wants us to live radically so he can move radically in us. He wants to set us free from paralysis. He's been beating me up all week and it's beautiful. Yeah. God bless you, man. I want to just say, I hope you have ears to hear what Pastor has just said. Because two weeks ago, I left for the Navajo Indian Reservation. Put a list on here. I don't peek into the giving very often. But even in this situation, she's been one of the most faithful to give to God's work in this church. 
even as she fell deeper and deeper in her struggle. That's faith. That's what God is calling us to have. Let's trust God. Let's live radically. As Seth leads us in a song of praise, I invite you for prayer. If you want to pray for her, you want to pray for yourself, you want to give, you want to pick up one of these, I ask you to spend as much time as you need. Next week, we're going to answer the question, what happens when you do all the right things and you get busted for it? You've got to come back. Let's respond. Let's be the church. Let's let the acts be continued. We love you.